0: Welcome to episode 173 of Reclaiming the Faith.
1: Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Today we're going to continue discussing the return of Jesus in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 through 11.
0: You can find links to all of my resources at philsbaker.com. And if you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving us a positive review on our Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith, also the same on Spotify.
1: And you can check out my catalog of podcasts on my show, The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker.
0: And I've got a new book, The Final Abominable Temple, which you can purchase in audio, digital, hardback and paperback formats on Amazon. And if you've read it, please consider leaving a rating and review there as well.
1: And finally, we are blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency, and you can find links to all our content there at omegafrequency.com.
0: All right, Stephanie, let's get into episode 173. All right, Steph. So, talking about thieves in the night.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes, we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that kind of talk makes me nervous sometimes, you know, like when people show up on your front doorstep at almost 11 o'clock at night and the dogs go crazy.
1: Yeah, no, I can, yeah, I mean, I I didn't have the same panic you did, but I can imagine.
0: Yeah, it was wild. But, uh, (laughs) so we're continuing our discussion, like you said in the intro on the return of Jesus. And uh, here in 1 Thessalonians 5, one through 11, Paul picks up uh, right where he left off. He's gonna use some of the same verbiage at different points. Uh, so be ready for that. He's gonna be calling back to the words of Jesus. So uh, if, you're, if you've got your Bible open and you're following along with us, you might wanna have like your thumb in Matthew 24 as well. But uh, Stephanie, would you mind uh, reading for us First Thessalonians chapter five verses one through 11?:
1: All right. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing.
0: All right. So if you remember last time, Paul was answering a question that the Thessalonian believers most likely gave or entrusted to Timothy to ask Paul for them concerning what's going to happen to our dead relatives who believed in Jesus, particularly like when he comes, what's gonna happen? Mm -hmm. And so Paul gives them a little bit of clarity on that in chapter four, um, when he's talking about how at the parousia, when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ are going to be raised and they're going to be raised first, then we who are alive and remain with, with uh, or who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to be with the Lord. Right, So he's using this term parousia, which means the presence, the arrival, the advent, the coming. Um, and he's clearly talking about the return of Jesus there. Now in chapter five, he says, now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you because we've already talked about this.
1: Yeah. You review. Yeah,
0: you know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now, it's interesting. Some people make a distinction between the day of the Lord and um, the second coming. John MacArthur, um, in one of his teachings, says that this day of the Lord that comes like a thief in the night, this is the rapture that comes seven years before the second coming. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're going to see though, is that Paul, when Paul's talking about the day of the Lord, he's talking about the second coming. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to get to that um, here in just a second. Before we do though, Steph, would you mind reading going to Acts chapter one? We're going to look at this phrase that Paul uses. He says, now as to the times and epochs, So, um, Steph, can you please read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8?
1: Yeah. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth.
0: Yeah, so the disciples are like, Is this when it all gets fixed? Are you at this time going to do it? And notice the phrase that Jesus use, uses. He's like, It's not for you to know the times and epochs that the Father has determined, right? So it seems here that Jesus is using this phrase, the times and epochs, uh, in correlation to his return and restoration of all things. So...
1: Mine says seasons, but same idea. Yeah,
0: yeah. absolutely is. Um, similar verbiage happens in Matthew 24, but um, it makes sense that Paul would say, um, as to these, you have no need to for anyone to write to you uh, because if you remember in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5... Paul says, like, you know about the return of Jesus and are being gathered to him. And he pairs that with the verbiage about the day of the Lord. He says, because when I was with you, we discussed these things. Yeah. So, Paul, go ahead.
1: No, it's just, it's just kind of like encouraging that even people that spent time like one on one with Paul are like forgetting things. <laughs> like, and or maybe getting confused and so you know it's important to be reminded.
0: Yep, yep. Uh I think here in chapter or in 1 Thessalonians maybe they had some confusion going on because of the brief amount of time that he had spent with them. In 2 Thessalonians though, in addition to that brief amount of time that Paul had spent with them, there was some confusion because in second 2- Thessalonians chapter 2 Paul says like even if like you get a letter from us or you hear somebody preaching to you that the day of the Lord has come no that has not happened right so there was some kind of like infiltration of false information deep fake yeah going on in uh in that uh Thessalonian community right before the second letter was written yeah. so that's one of the main reasons we have second Thessalonians cuz you got fake news mm. Yeah, being propagated there in the church. Not good. So Paul says, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night, okay? So Paul says the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. Steph, can you go to Matthew 24? This is the first time of a couple that will be in Matthew 24. We're gonna look at this thief in the night verbiage. First, we're gonna look at Matthew 24 and we're gonna look at 37 through 44. And then we're gonna to go to 2 Peter chapter three. Now there are more places where the phrase like day of the Lord happens in the New Testament. Obviously a lot of places in the Old Testament that it does. I'd encourage people to read Zephaniah. That's a pretty great little book. It's all about the day of the Lord. We got some Joel stuff too, and we'll hit Joel. But uh, Stephanie, can you read, like we said, Matthew 24, 37 through 44. remembering though, um, in verse 37, when it says the coming of the son of man, it's the parousia. And if you remember from earlier in Matthew 24, Jesus said the parousia comes after the tribulation of those days, this horrific tribulation. Okay, go ahead.
1: For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field; one will be taken and one will be left. Two will be in the grinding; two women will be in the grinding, grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know. On what day the Lord is coming. But you know this. But know this if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and he would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect.
0: All right. Now uh notice how this day day of the Lord in in Paul is paired with it comes like a thief in the night. Jesus says the coming of the son of man, and he says it a couple times, comes like a thief in the night. The mm-hmm. coming, the coming, the coming. First time he compares it to Noah. Now, who did it come to like a thief in the night in the days of Noah? It certainly wasn't Noah. Noah. was everybody else. It was everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Noah was prepared because he saw animals coming you know mm-hmm. he was able to like count years i'm sure 120 years okay so it should be in this year sometime or very close to it um oh we completed the ark the ark is done so noah was like all right it's it's about that time and again yeah. here come the clean animals in uh, groups of 7 and the unclean animals in groups of 2 you know so it's it's got to be any time sometime very soon now, mm-hmm. right, but to everybody else, like a thief in the night. All right, so here's uh second Peter. Uh, I'll read it stuff. if you want to follow along, can. Um, this is second Peter chapter three verses three through twelve. Now, Peter says, no, know, know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of the parousia, his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. You know, we get that kind of thought. Now it's been 2000 years since Jesus ascended. You know, he says it could come anytime. Where's the promise? Hmm, that was happening, you know, just a couple of decades after Jesus ascended in Peter's day. It's still happening now. Peter's got a word for for us when we have those kind of thoughts. Peter continues verse 5 for when they maintain this it escapes their notice that by the word of the God by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. What's Peter talking about? Nah, yeah Noah's flood so here's Peter again talking about the day of the Lord and comparing it to
1: the flood the Noah's flood
0: ark, yeah. yeah yeah you got similar verbiage here hmm I wonder why that is all right uh verse 7 but by his word the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire so not by water but by fire at the end kept for the day of of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So Peter is saying the day of the Lord is going to be the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. kind of sounds like 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse eight. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, bro, uh, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. There he is quoting Jesus again. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of god because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat so here's the day of god i mean it's the day of the lord it's it's they're parallel you know phrases basically they mean the same thing they're synonymous They both happen with the destruction of ungodly men with fire. Like it's, it's very clear day of God is the same thing as day of the Lord. Maybe like the parousia is the same thing as the revelation of Jesus Christ or the manifestation of Christ from like, they're just, there are a lot of synonymous phrases that get used by the biblical writers. Anyway, let's continue that's a little bit of Day of the Lord. We'll get more Day of the Lord coming um, in in a minute. But remember, again, Peter also said that the parousia is the Day of the Lord. All right. So, verse three through four. Steph, would you mind reading uh, Second Thess, or sorry, First Thessalonians chapter five, verses three through four, while they're saying peace and safety.
1: Yeah, while people are saying there is peace and security then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape you said through 5 mm, through 4 through 4 but you are not in darkness brothers for that day uh, sorry for that day to surprise you like a thief
0: yeah so it's interesting that you know Jesus talks about the parousia or the day of the lord that comes like a thief, coming after the tribulation of those days. Yet, and Paul agrees, but Paul is also saying that the people are going to be saying peace and safety. That's an interesting idea. Why would the people be saying peace and safety or security in the midst of the worst tribulation of all
1: time? It kind of made me think of like, I don't know. The power of the government or the power of like the worldly authorities like they're they're trying to they're talking about the peace that they bring, kind of like the like Pax Romana type thing, like we are bringing peace. There's peace in the midst of this trust trust uh, the authority figures.
0: Yeah, and um for many people and myself being included like the the main authority figure in those days of the great tribulation is who Revelation calls the beast that comes out of the abyss. Uh, John calls the antichrist. Um, Paul calls the man of lawlessness. Uh, Now, if he's the one that's over all the governments of the world, how would he be bringing peace and safety? Well, perhaps... Perhaps there's a bit of a clue in Revelation 11. So in Revelation 11, we have we are introduced to these two characters called the two witnesses, okay? Now this is alluded to in Zechariah chapter four, I believe, yeah. And um, these two olive trees that stand before the Lord of all the earth, all right? Now, um, most people believe it's either Elijah and Enoch or Elijah and Moses. Uh, either way, Elijah's probably going to be one of them. One of the reasons a lot of people think it's Elijah and Moses is because you have all the plagues of Egypt uh, being poured out on the kingdom of the beast. And um, also, Elijah and Moses were there at the transfiguration, standing beside the Lord of all the earth. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, people think though it might be Enoch and Elijah because it seems like Enoch did not die. In uh, Genesis chapter five, we we read about Enoch being taken. He was godly in his generation, then he was taken. Yeah, kind of like a rapture kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if Hebrews I think it's nine says it's given for everyone to die once and then face the judgment. You got two people that didn't die yet. And that's Elijah and Enoch. But obviously, a case could be made for Moses as well. Regardless, there's a prophecy that before um, before the Lord appears in His temple, Elijah must come first and restore all things. Okay, so what's going on with this peace in the midst of this great tribulation period? Because those two witnesses show up after the sixth trumpet in Revelation, okay? And those first six trumpets, there's a lot of unrest, a lot of destruction, a lot of war, all this kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Now, some people believe that the reason that there's all that stuff happening with those trumpet blasts is because those are basically the plagues that the two witnesses are bringing on the earth. That the two witnesses are responsible for those things. Obviously God's power moving through those two witnesses. Regardless, the people seem to think that these two witnesses are like super villains. Why do we say that? Well, in Revelation chapter 11, No one can destroy them. No one can kill them. And if you do try to kill them, fire comes out from them and devours them. Like you can't kill these guys until the beast who had some kind of a mortal head wound that was healed shows up. The Antichrist kills both of them. So these two guys that were terrorizing the earth for years are final that no one could kill are finally killed by the Antichrist. How do you think the people feel on earth?
1: Peace and security.
0: Finally. Yeah. Yeah, finally we have peace. These two guys have been terrorizing and plaguing the earth. That's the way they're feeling. Even though they, they were calling the people to repent and believe in Jesus. The people actually like create a holiday. They give gifts to one another. And the the two witnesses' bodies lie dead in the streets of Jerusalem. But then after three days, the breath of life enters them. A huge voice comes from heaven and says, come up here. Those guys, those two guys in the presence of everyone resurrect and ascend back into heaven. And as soon as that happens, there's this massive earthquake, like a a 10th, I believe, of Jerusalem is destroyed in the earthquake. And then you have this seventh trumpet blast and the ark that's in heaven is visible now. And then this loud voice says, now the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And it's like wartime. And then the seventh trumpet happens, last trumpet blast in Revelation, is that the parousia right then? Is that when Jesus returns. It's interesting because that prophecy in Malachi 3 about before the Lord appears suddenly in his temple, you're going to have his messenger, Elijah, calling people to repent. Well, right before the temple in heaven is visible, you have Elijah calling people to repent again. Resurrected, raptured, basically, And then everybody sees God and they're like, oh no, oh no. And it's interesting. I'm just going to throw this in there. I know there's a lot, Stephanie, but in Revelation 16, I believe it's the sixth bowl. You have the Antichrist gather up the, the nations, the armies of the nations to go make war against God. Why would the armies literally, perhaps, perhaps literally be trying to fight God. Do you try to fight someone you can't see?
1: Not generally.
0: The invisible man? Yeah. Maybe God is now visible. Maybe now the Lord has manifested himself from heaven with these bowls of wrath, perhaps because they clearly think that they're going to fight God, fighting God, mm-hmm. literally. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like the Lord is probably going to be visible at that point in some kind of way. That's there in Revelation 11. Anyway, anyway, let's continue going. Paul says, while these people are saying peace and safety, destruction is going to come upon them like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you brethren are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. So it's interesting that he brings in labor pains Mm -hmm. here. If you know what's going on, uh, as a woman who's pregnant, you know like what are some signs that not just that you're pregnant obviously <laughs> yeah but that it's probably about time it may not be the exact hour yeah but you know it could happen any hour any day or any hour now
1: um well usually you start to have some contractions long before you're in labor especially like your first baby like they call them Braxton Hicks. Those are that's a, a sign that it could be coming soon. But a lot of times the baby will turn so that its head down, like it's in a good position. Obviously, some babies stay breech, but in general, they turn down. They get in position. Like the babies will like kind of drop into the pelvis more, so they get they get lower and into position. Um, the cervix might start to dilate even before you're really truly in labor. Uh, your water breaking—that doesn't mean that the baby is coming necessarily in an hour or something. It could be, but that might mean that you've got a day mm. of you know contracting and going into labor. But usually, it starts with like warm-up contractions is what they'll call them. So your your body is preparing, and um, yeah, you before before something kind of interesting is a lot of people start nesting a lot, right? Like they're preparing for this baby to come and they may be really tired throughout their pregnancy. And then all of a sudden they get this like burst of energy Mm. and they are doing probably sometimes too much. They overdo it, but they're preparing for what's to come and they won't have a lot of energy or time after they have a little one. So it's kind of this last little um, burst of energy, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I probably should have said also that you were a labor and delivery nurse for many years. Yeah. Woman's health nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you've been around this quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, know what you're talking about. And it's interesting that both Jesus in Matthew 24 and Paul here in 1 Thessalonians 5 talk about labor pains
1: mm-hmm. coming. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I it's... Uh, there's obviously like exceptions, but in general with pregnancy, you you know, they say they like, give you your due date and that's based off like your period or maybe your very first ultrasound or something, but it's 40 weeks of pregnancy. Not Not very often do people necessarily deliver on their due date. It's usually maybe two or three weeks before, two weeks after. That's about, you know, maybe five, six weeks window. So, you have kind of a general idea when this is going to happen. That does not mean that everybody is prepared. I can't tell you how many people have so many like very basic things not done and they are caught off guard by it. Um, but it does, you should be kind of expecting that it could happen. And so, you don't wait till the last minute to do those kind of things so that you are prepared. Um, because yeah, you know that it's gonna be somewhere in this range, most likely.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, so I'm gonna read uh Acts two. Steph, would you go to Matthew twenty four again? I'm gonna have you do twenty-four or twenty seven through thirty-three. Okay. But verses did you say? You're gonna do Matthew twenty four, verse twenty seven through thirty-three. Okay. So this is more like parousia and day of the Lord stuff, okay? So here's Acts 2. Peter's at uh, Pentecost giving his first sermon. So he says, "'Men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, "'let it be known to you and give heed to my words. "'These men are not drunk as you suppose,' "'cause they're speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. "'For it's only the third hour of the day. "'It's nine in the morning. "'But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel.'" And it shall be in the last days, is Joel too. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter's like, we're in the last days now because God promised in Joel that God would pour forth his spirit on all mankind. See, that just happened. So just like you can bank on his words there, also, Jesus is coming back soon. And before he comes back, there's gonna be a couple other signs, like the sun being uh, turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and glorious day of the Lord comes. There are some signs Peter's like, this is from Joel, Mm y'all. He was right on the spirit. He's going to be right on the return as well. So Steph, this is back to the uh, Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 27 through 33.
1: For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in, the heaven, in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory." And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, one from, from one end of heaven to the other.
0: Keep going. 32 to 33.
1: Oh, 33. Yeah. yeah. From, the fig, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates.
2: Hmm.
0: So Jesus gives a parable about the fig tree and he's like, hey, uh, when you see its um, branch becoming tender and putting forth leaves, guess what? You know the season, Mm -hmm. the times and the... Seasons. Ah, you may not know the day or the hour, but you can definitely know what season we're in. Just kind of like when the leaves fall from the trees, you know we're about to be in... Winter, it's coming very soon. You're in the midst of fall. Winter is coming very soon. So you may not know the day or the hour, but you can certainly look at particular signs to know that he is, and it's interesting the phrase that he uses. He says, when you see these things, recognize that he, Jesus, is near right at the door. He's near the door. Why would Jesus use that phrase? Because he's coming like a thief. So if the owner of the house knew what time the thief was coming, he wouldn't let his house get broken into. Mm -hmm. So you should be prepared. Yeah. If you see these things, if you're seeing these signs, these particular signs, they will let you know, oh snap, He is almost here. So I'm not gonna let this come to me like a thief in the night. I'm gonna be a person of the day. I'm not gonna be in darkness because Jesus has already told me what to look for. So we've got the sun being turned to darkness, the moon to to blood before the day of the Lord. You've got all of these uh, just incredible tribulation type things going on. And then you've got signs concerning the uh, man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, which Jesus also talks about in Matthew 24, and he talks about the abomination of desolation. So here's Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8, talking about things, again, to look for. He says, I request you brethren, we request you brethren with regard to the coming, the parousia of the Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered together to him. So regarding the return and the rapture that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Again, Paul pairs day of the Lord with the parousia. Okay. Let no one in any way deceive you, because it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of perdition or destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Don't you remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things and you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed." for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work and he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Now it's interesting. This is just something to keep in your pocket for later, okay? Some people will use this word appearance, the appearing of our Lord as being the second coming and the coming being the rapture. The parousia being the rapture, the coming, and the appearing of our God and Savior to be the second coming. So they try to make a distinction between those two. However, Paul links those two in Second Thessalonians 2, 8. Because he says, when is the Antichrist going to get destroyed? He's going to get destroyed when the Lord appears at his coming. So he's linking these two words together. Mm -hmm. He's saying they're one. Kind of like the Lord's parousia and are being gathered together. Mm -hmm. Two parts of the same event, basically. Same thing in verse 8. All right, so let's get back into 1 Thessalonians 5. Steph, would you read for us verses five through eight where Paul is talking about why we won't experience the day of the Lord like a thief in the night?
1: For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation.
0: All right. So just kind of in a a broad sense, why is Paul saying that um, the Thessalonians won't experience the day of the Lord like a thief in the night?
1: They're prepared. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean this is kind of like a over the whole chapter or not whole chapter but the whole passage we're covering sort of thing but I was just sort of made like a little list of like one side was children of light and ch- the other side being like children of the night and just the contrast cuz everything is like you're like this don't be like this or you know you won't have this and he's it's it's all about bringing comfort to them and like reassuring them like this is okay. But like, you know, one side would be the children of light are aware and prepared. The other um, being that the children of the night have like a fake peace and there's like, there's destruction that's imminent. Um, Children of the light are not surprised, whereas children of the night are... Children of the
0: day. You said the night are...
1: are not children of the light. I light,
0: said. gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. sorry.
1: I should probably say day because night and light sound almost the same. But <laughs> children of the day are not surprised, whereas children of the night, it's it comes like a thief, and or you know the the second coming is like a thief in the night. And children of the day are awake and sober rather than drunk. Um, and then just that at the second coming, children of the the day will obtain salvation but children of the night will receive wrath. So like just it's it just keeps giving the parallels um and what's happening and what could happen but he's reassuring them like this hasn't happened yet and this isn't this isn't you that I'm talking to necessarily. So.
0: Yeah, now uh when he's talking about the day of the Lord, this is the day of the destruction of the ungodly. This is there's so much like war uh, verbiage from the Old Testament concerning the day of the Lord, uh, the great battle uh, of God against his enemies. And uh, in many of those chapters, in many of those places in the Old Testament, you see God like using his people to fight, using his, his faithful followers, um, kind of like a Phineas type character that's filled with zeal um, brings about destruction and God credits it to him as righteousness. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Yeah. So, um, there's definitely a connection here and from John 12 about the war scroll. So this is the Essene community that put together different documents. And one of those documents of the Dead Sea Scroll community, you know, uh, was called the war scroll. And it's the war of the sons of light against the sons of darkness. And there are literal battles that take place between these two sides. And the sons of darkness follow the one called Belial, which is a description of the devil. Okay. Now, Paul brings this up again in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And he also calls them sons of light. What fellowship does light have with darkness And uh, there's no harmony between Christ and Belial, okay? So these are at enmity against each other. So when Paul is saying like, you're sons of light and sons of day, and then he starts talking about armor, that's war language. Mm -hmm. So he's like, now is not the time um, to fight. But when Jesus returns, that's when we're going to for real fight it seems. If you have like Zechariah 14 in mind, like, and Jude in mind, like um, when the Lord returns, he comes with all his, the, the armies of heaven to make war on the enemies of God. Okay. So that's something to consider. Another thing to consider, which is kind of interesting, he says, uh, but since we are of the day, let's be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, Paul is referencing Isaiah 59 there. But before we do that, notice he had this triplet of faith, hope, and love. Do you remember where he used that earlier? It's at at the beginning of the letter. Yeah. He says how he always thanks God making mention of the Thessalonians in his prayers, constantly bearing in mind their work of faith, their labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's like, we got to keep on doing that for one. He's bringing them It's a callback. It's kind of like an intro and a conclusion to a good book. They're going to have some symmetry, maybe some callbacks. Mm -hmm. Paul does the same thing here. But he says the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now let's go to Isaiah 59 because there's another call back to chapter one that Paul has in here. So Steph, if you go to Isaiah 59 and uh, start in verse 14 and we'll read 14 through 20. Okay, this is obviously gonna be Paul talking about just horrific things going on in the earth.
1: Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries repayment to his enemies to the coastlands he will render pay, repayment so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun for he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives and a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord
0: all right now it's interesting that Paul, um Isaiah is saying that before the Lord comes to Zion, before the Lord seemingly returns himself, the Lord himself is going to put on uh, armor, basically. Before he does that, he's looking and it's like, there's no one who's interceding. There's no justice. What's going on with the Lord's people at this time? They're not doing what they're supposed to. Is that perhaps in correlation to a great apostasy taking place, clearly he's using like hyperbolic language when he says like, there's no one Mm -hmm. who intercedes, right? That's not gonna be literally no one. Later on in Isaiah chapter 64, you're gonna see phrases like, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. Mm -hmm. And there's gonna be the phrase right after that, there's no one who calls on your name. Well, what you're seeing there though is Isaiah. Calling on his name. (laughs) Yes, he's in the middle of a prayer, basically. So he's clearly being hyperbolic there, okay? But it seems like God's people on the whole are not doing what they're supposed to. And evil is just pervasive throughout the earth. So the Lord comes and he puts on a breastplate. He puts on a helmet. He puts on righteousness like a breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head and garments of vengeance. And then Isaiah says, then a redeemer will come to Zion. Now that's interesting because Paul quotes this same passage, not just in 1 Thessalonians 5, but in Romans chapter 11. And there he says, the deliver, deliverer will come from Zion from Zion and he will remove ungodliness for from Jacob. So Isaiah says he'll come to Zion. Paul says he comes from Zion. Okay. Galatians 4 in Galatians 4 Paul says that the present Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem is in bondage and she is like Sinai and she is like Hagar, Abraham's mistress, mm-hmm. the bondage, the, the woman in bondage. Mm-hmm. But Paul says, we, our mother is the heavenly Jerusalem, heavenly Zion. So our mother is like Sarah. She's the free woman. It's really interesting how Paul like starts flipping, um, Jerusalem, the concept of Jerusalem in people's mind, he's saying there's a heavenly Jerusalem. There's a heavenly Zion. And that's where, that's our home. Keep that in mind. Hebrews chapter 12, can you turn there, Steph? Hebrews chapter 12, we're gonna look at verses 22 through 24. 22 through 24 in Hebrews chapter 12. Twelve,
1: But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous and made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood of that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel.
0: Ah, so where have believers in Jesus come to? Not the regular Jerusalem. The heavenly one. The heavenly Jerusalem, which the author of Hebrews calls the real Mount Zion. Where does Jesus come from? It says he comes from...
1: The clouds.
0: Okay. (laughs) Heavens. Yes, and in Isaiah... 59 which Paul's quoting he says he comes from Jerusalem the heavenly Zion he comes from Zion well if there's a heavenly Jerusalem a heavenly Zion where would Jesus be coming from that's his city yeah so we go back to first um, Thessalonians and uh, chapter 1. Paul says in verse nine, "They themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus who delivers us or rescues us from the wrath to come. The deliverer comes from heaven. To rescue us from the wrath to come, Paul also, Paul also says he comes from Zion to Zion. Mm-hmm. Who is Zion? Seems like we're Zion in a sense. Jesus, had, if we're in Jesus, our mother is Jerusalem. What name do we have? Basically, it's an interesting things to ponder and think about. So let's continue with this wrath thing because just like we quoted verse 10 of chapter one, that we wait for Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. So we get rescued from the wrath to come. Again, that's a callback. Verse nine through eleven of chapter five, Steph, can you read First Thess. Chapter five, verses nine through eleven. God has not destined us.
1: So for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that we, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing.
0: Okay. So what is contrasted with wrath in that statement? God is not destined us for wrath.
1: Salvation.
0: Oh. Not peace and safety. Wrath is not contrasted with peace and safety. Wrath is contrasted with Salvation. Salvation. Wrath is not Synonymous, therefore, it would seem, with tribulation. A lack of tribulation would be peace and safety. But wrath in First Thessalonians is contrasted with salvation. So what's the opposite, Stephanie, of salvation?
1: Destruction.
0: And in, a, in, in an eternal sense, what's a word we could use? Hell? Yeah, or damnation. Mm -hmm. Now, doesn't that make sense? People that are in Jesus are not destined for hell. People that are in Jesus are not destined for damnation. People that are in Jesus are not destined for eternal destruction. They are destined for salvation. So when when we see this idea of wrath being equated with tribulation, I think we've gone too far with the way we are describing or defining salvation. Salvation is not being free from suffering. In fact, Paul says, we are in 1 Thessalonians, you are destined for suffering, You're destined for it. Remember in uh, chapter three, first Thessalonians three, Paul says, see see to it that no one would be disturbed by your afflictions, by our afflictions, for you yourself know that we kept telling you we are destined for this. We're destined for suffering and tribulation.
1: Sounds like a blast. (laughs) but you're
0: not destined for wrath.
1: Right. It sounds bad cuz we focus on like what's right now. We sound it sounds bad because we can get so hung up on yeah, we we try to avoid suffering. I mean, I, I I I can think of a million things that I do in a single day to make my life more comfortable. And um it, we just get focused on today and right now and this discomfort versus Eternal, and versus like tr- the true stuff. The true peace and and comfort comes from Jesus. It's not going to come from you know anything that this world has to offer.
0: You know, it's interesting that Paul brings up pregnancy, labor pains, and Jesus does too. Because I mean, I wouldn't know experientially, but I'm sure at times that <laughs> no. women feel like they're dying. Like this thing is, I'm sure the the phrase, this thing is killing, this baby's killing me. Yeah. You know, it's come out of many um, women's mouths during pregnancy, especially during contractions and all that. Yeah. But after the baby comes, there's an incredible contrast that takes place in the type of verbiage that's let out of the mouth. Mm-hmm. Once they see their child, it's, it was all worth it. Yeah. You know, and more so, like...
1: They go back and do it again. <laughs> there's so much
0: joy that yeah. comes after the labor is done. Yeah. But if you're going to be pregnant, you are destined for suffering. You're destined for it. But that's not, this, that's not the end. Right. There's joy that's coming when the baby is revealed.
1: Yeah, you endure that suffering because you know that there's a purpose.
0: Right, right. And there is likewise with our suffering in Christ. So just want to uh, kind of wrap this up here. Wrath is not the destiny of those who oppose Jesus. Steph, would you mind reading uh, John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21? And then verse 36, if you don't mind, all the way down toward the bottom. Verse 36.
1: Whoever believes in the Son has, all, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him.
0: All right. So there's clearly something that has been predestined, two paths. If you believe in Jesus, you have him. You have life. You have salvation. Those who do not believe... In Jesus, are destined for condemnation, wrath. Mm -hmm. Okay? Those two things we can say for absolute certain have been predestined by God. If you choose this, this is your destiny. If you choose this, this is your destiny. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. So just want to end this with uh, another passage from the writer John If you could go, uh, Stephanie, to 1 John chapter three. We did John chapter three. We're gonna go to 1 John chapter three and look at verses one through three. Now, remember, God has destined those who believe in Jesus for salvation. And so what is one of the main aspects of salvation? It's right here.
1: See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God
2: I swear Never thought I'd see Such darkness everywhere You must think much more Of me I guess You must see some purpose In this mess Be still My soul Space. Be still, my soul